<laughs> there it goes. So now, that, now while that clock's counting down, they can't hear us, right? They're hearing us right now. Let's do a test. Testing, testing. Oh. Can someone confirm? <laughs> testing. I meant to tell you that. Can, can anyone hear us? Because we're having all kinds of problems. And by we, we mean Brax. That's right. Greetings and welcome to a late night edition of, well, it's not that late, but a nighttime edition of Trinity Radio. I'm John the Pritchett and along with me is Braxton Hunter. But even better than that, we have Chris Date. You were supposed to say your name, Chris. We have Chris Date. <laughs> you can tell me. From, uh, you can tell me I would have to name myself. We have Chris Date from Rethinking Hell and uh, Theo Apologetics Podcast, which I hear is going to be making a triumphant return. Is that correct? Well, I haven't gone public with that information, but that is the goal. Yeah, my whole Pritchett. Whoops. Yeah, thanks for letting the cat out of the bag. Hey, yeah. man, we have to give a little extra to our audience, and we always yeah. let cats out of bags. We're dog people. And if you right. if you haven't checked it out, Chris and I have probably a hundred hours of a debate review <laughs> that we did um, together. Well, not just the two of us, but um, where is that? You can find it in our Facebook group. Um, do you mean the debate review that you, Darren, and I did? Darren Clark and, and we all did together. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, if you just go to the Rethinking Hell podcast, um, and you can just go to rethinkinghell.com slash podcast for that. It's uh, the last three episodes, actually, and each one is like two and a half hours or longer. Yeah, <laughs> so we spent a long time. A lot to say, though. Very good debate where Chris just totally whipped his opponent. Um, uh, Costa, Dr. Costa, who's a nice guy. Um, but yeah, that, that was a lot of fun doing those. And, and of course, poor Darren, he lives on the other side of the planet in the upside down country. So he had to be up at like two in the morning doing it. So okay, now I've been hearing from some people that we've had a little bit of clipping. Uh, let me know if we've got it figured out now. Does it sound better now? Um, but, uh, now we can't hear you at all. John Beaver says, who can't you hear? 
It's every okay. Chris has good sound. What about okay? Way better. All right, great. All right, so yeah, so let me just uh, go ahead and say a few things. This is an exciting episode to load. Dadgum it, Tatiana. <laughs> <laughs> Tatiana is uh, our uh, PR person for Trinity Radio, so oh. this is obviously a much more casual episode here. But I didn't intend for it to be. I wanted us to really roll out the red carpet for Chris because Chris is one of our good friends, but we're actually making a special announcement. And Chris, I don't know how you feel about it, but I would prefer that we just go ahead and um, let's just go ahead and make this announcement now. Um, is that okay with you? Very much so, yeah. That way I don't have to, I've, I've already said it in a couple of public places, and so now I won't have to worry that you'll be upset at me anymore. <laughs> yeah, so, so Chris has been a good friend for a while. Let me do this first. Thank you, Sean Simmons, so much for that incredibly substantial super chat. Oh, my goodness. He says, uh, he says, love you guys. Uh, he says, love you guys. Can't watch this live. Making dinner with the family. Just wanted to chime in and say I appreciate it. Well, we, we appreciate We appreciate you very much. And, yes, dinner with family. Um, that's food. Food. You can watch this later. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so so we really appreciate that. Um, oh, wow, very generous. Thank you. Yes, very, very generous. But so Chris, I knew about Chris Date, and Jonathan, I'm sure the same is true for you. We knew about Chris Date um, a, a long time ago before, you know, I, I mean, back when he was debating like Phil Fernandez and people. Yeah. And uh, just was I was I was always just amazed at his ability in debates. Yeah. Not just in his ability to uh, cut through the arguments. You could tell that he really overprepared and, and just studied like crazy. I don't believe he can overprepare. And, um, but also has this incredible humility and uh, love for people. And you can tell that he, um, I mean, I, I hope this isn't saying too much, Chris, but I know from conversations with you that, you know, it's not beyond the pale that you're, you're concerned enough about the person you're talking to that sometimes you can even get your feelings hurt by the way they interpret you about something. I mean, it's, it, he's just, he's just a really lovable guy. He's, he's a huggable guy. And, um, he's got some claws though. That make no I do. Say. I do. And so he's, he's, he just can't get mad at him when he brings him out. He's like, will stab you with him. And he's like, Oh, well that sucks. So, um, so well just wait till the claws are pointed at you, JP. Then you might be able to get mad at me. Yeah. I want to see that. But so we, um, so we developed a friendship and, the first time I talked to Chris on the phone, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm talking to Chris Date. I'm talking to the Chris Date. And so uh, and so so we developed a friendship and talked on the phone and got to know each other a little better and have kind of discussed things, debated things back and forth. And uh, and it's it's always been fun. And 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 I'm just proud to call him my friend. Yes. On top of that, um, Chris has just graduated with a master's degree from Fuller Theological Seminary. Tell me if and I can this. I'm sorry. And a 4.0 GPA. Woohoo! Welcome to the club. Pra praise the Lord. I just graduated with a D-man from Luther Rice with a 4.0. Yeah. So, awesome. Uh, We're a bunch of nerds here. Yeah. yeah. The 4.0 <laughs> Yeah, this is the Christian Big Bang Theory we're watching yeah. here. That's right. Um, so, so anyway, so, uh, and, and, and I think you're beginning at some point, right? I don't know. Is this, can I say this yet? Uh, a program, the program you're going into? Well, I'm not go. I don't have. I haven't even applied to uh, the the next level of you know my okay. education. My goal, sort of my dream, and and I'm already, I've already been talking with the PhD super, supervisor that I'd like to supervise me, uh, is to um, do an Old Testament doctorate at Cambridge. I, I imagine it would be a D Phil there. Um, 
but there's a there's an Old Testament scholar there named Philip Johnston who wrote a book called Shades of Sheol, and uh, um, I contacted him, said asked if he'd be interested in being a supervisor, and he says yes. So I just have to get to the point where I apply to Cambridge, and they like me enough to say, sure, let's do it, and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, and so um, I'm happy to write a letter of recommendation. So the point is— I'm is, not sure how valuable that'll be, JP. <laughs> very valuable. Everyone, everyone loves my letters. Okay. So I lie about people. So— so, so Chris is an incredibly accomplished scholar, and he can rightly be called a scholar at this point. And he has multiple books. He's debated his views publicly. And so um, we recently added another faculty member that we're going to be introducing in the coming days. Um, but it's, it's really an answer to prayer. Chris, I, you know, not just three weeks ago, maybe, um, I was praying for, for what I wanted Trinity to develop um, we needed more faculty members. We need more people who were willing to teach and could teach. And, and honestly, in order to um, get the message out there about our school and what we're doing for the kingdom, um, we, th we thought that it, was in, it would be a nice thing if we could have everything we wanted. It would be people that have a social media platform of some sort. We've also strongly needed a Hebrew and a Greek professor. And, um, and, and almost, I, I don't want to overshoot this, okay, but it couldn't have been more than a couple of days after I last prayed about that, that a particular person contacted us, not Chris, a, a, another guy, and we worked out a situation where he's going to be teaching, and I'll tell you more about him uh, on another episode. But almost at the same time, Chris contacted us, and for reasons that are too technical to get into here, but um, it has a lot to do with how gracious and generous Chris is with his time and abilities. Chris Date is joining the faculty of Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary to yes, teach sir. multiple classes. And we are so thrilled and honored to have him on our faculty. Chris, welcome. And we are so proud that in more ways than one, you are a Trinity man. Yes. Well, thank you. It means a lot. But trust me, the, the, the honor and the privilege is all mine. I mean, this has been the whole reason I started my undergraduate back in 2014 and then pursued the fuller degree is because my dream is one day to leave software behind, um, which makes a lot of money, but isn't particularly fulfilling. Uh, and teach at the seminary level one day. And, which does not um, make a lot of money, by the way. <laughs> which does not make a lot of money. So you could tell that I really want to do it. Yeah. Um, I'll probably make less than a quarter of what I do now, but that's okay. Um, so you're making a dream come true for me because uh, I didn't think I would get to start teaching until after I earned my doctorate. Um, and then recently I discovered that there are some schools that will let master's graduates teach at the undergrad level. And when I reached out to you guys, I mean, you, you were the first ones I reached out to because um, I was uh, really excited about that idea. And when you told me that you'd love to have me, it was like, I mean, you're making my dream come true as much as you said, I'm making yours come true. Well, so. I honestly believe, you know, we, we're, we, you're a Calvinist, we're not Calvinists, but we do believe in the providence of God. And you know something, I, I You've been on our list. Pritchett told me, he said, he's been on my lit, my dream list for forever. <laughs> yeah. And for it to ha happen the way that it did is just a dream come true. So that's um, true. We, we were talking about you back when uh, what solidified it for me was uh, last August at the Rethinking Hell conference when we got <laughs> to spend some time actually face to face, which we had developed a friendship prior to that. Um, but actually meeting you and getting to hang out which that was a blast, by the way. It, it was. 
Uh, most conferences are boring, but that one, uh, the Rethinking Hell conference is awesome. And we had a great time, uh, Chris and I, and then Lindsay and Marvin and some of the other guys there. Uh, it was just a great conference. So I don't know if y'all are having it this year because of all the chaos, but. We are. Oh, you yeah, are. I mean, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to steal the opportunity now to plug that a little bit. Do it. Um, before the COVID thing started, we had scheduled this year's conference for early November um, here in my neck of the woods, the Pacific Northwest, the, the greater Seattle area. Um, and our state is already in the process of opening up, and it will continue to do so, assuming things don't suddenly take a downturn. Um, I think the worst thing that will happen is that people that come to the conference will have to wear face masks. But that's the worst I think that's going to happen. So, you know, people, if, if, if you're interested in coming to see, um, can, can I tell you, say who's coming to speak? Yeah. Why not? The, Why, it's your well, and it's great. It, it, it's perfect for Trinity Radio because it's all apo apologetics. I mean, the theme is apologetics and the and the challenge of hell. Um, and so we've got three defenders of eternal torment coming to speak uh, or believers in eternal torment. Um, Paul Copan, which is really awesome. Um, uh, uh, Clay Jones, formerly of Biola University, until they said people can't work there if they hold if they don't hold premillennialism or uh, dispensational premillennialism and uh tim barnett from stand of reason i mean this is a huge you know and then there's little old me um but i think it's going to be a fantastic lineup and if people go to rethinkinghellconference.com they can find all the details how to register um i, I think it's going to be a really phenomenal conference so Chris, and, and you I, heard i've put on the screen the youtube channel for rethinking hell but um rethinkinghell.com is the official site right it is but the conference website is rethinkinghellconference.com okay, so great. just remember great. that part yeah yeah anyway it's a great conference i don't know that they'll have uh out of copan and clay jones i've uh when i was a student at biola i've heard him drone on for hours he's pretty good uh it, they won't have me like they did last year well this, which, is, the, this is the interesting thing which, Pritchett. they yeah. asked me chris yeah. asked me to come and I had to back out because of a scheduling conflict. Right. And was it Paul Copan that took my spot? So yes. Was, yeah. So forever I've got this story that I was Chris's first choice and yeah. Paul was his he second. He settled choice. for Paul Copan. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I've, yeah, I mean, none of it's as great as last year because, I mean, I spoke. But, and if you haven't seen last year's conference, uh, watch uh, all of the presentations, but especially this is one thing I'm worried about Chris being a faculty member, his PowerPoints alone. And I don't know that tonight's will do justice, but his PowerPoint at that conference was probably better than most Hollywood blockbuster special effects as far as PowerPoints go. And I'm not overselling it. I was dazzled by it. And if he does that in like our courses, we're going to look pretty bad. Well, you got, I got to I have to make up for the poor quality of the content. So I've got to make really phenomenal PowerPoint slides. Yeah, that's like the old preaching advice. If you've got the weakest points in your sermon, say those with the most passion. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but all right, so let's let's we're excited about this, Chris. This is great news. And so you're going to be teaching Greek. And he, I mean, think about how talented this guy is teaching Greek. He's teaching Hebrew. He's teaching some other things. But one of the things that he's teaching is a class on Christology. Right. Yeah. And um, and so what I thought when I was talking to Chris, I said, I don't just want to do a video introducing you, because frankly, as much as everyone loves you, uh, a lot of people won't watch it just because of a special announcement about something like that. But, and I'll probably even put something like a timestamp in the description after we're done here. Jump to this part if you just want to hear the talk. So, but, but because that's one of your topics that you're going to be teaching on is Christology. We talked about this. And I remembered 
you had a debate with, and, and we can show the book and things like that in a bit, but we, we, you did a debate with a man named Dale Tuggy, Dr. Dale Tuggy, and he, uh, you, you guys debated whether Jesus was human and not God, right? Is that, did I say that right? Yeah, when, when, we, when, when Dr. Tuggy and I were first working out what we wanted to debate, he really wanted to take the affirmative um, he hadn't had a chance to do that before, and I was fine with that. And the thesis that he decided he wanted to affirm is Jesus is human and not divine. So he's affirming Jesus is solely human. I'm denying that he's human and not divine, by which I mean he's human and divine. Yeah, so I've put the image of the book on the screen there. Is Jesus human and not divine? Because this uh, live debate that you can go watch on YouTube has been turned into a book and published through a traditional publisher. So that's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just to be clear, uh, not that this is what you implied, but it's not merely sort of a, uh, a print version of the debate. We went into a lot more detail, did a lot more research after the debate. Um, so it's more like a, um, an expansion upon uh, the live debate. Um, and, you know, one benefit of it being a traditional publisher and a print volume instead of just a, a YouTube debate is this is quotable and citable in academic literature should anybody think it's worth citing yeah so love that uh yeah so um real quick we have a super chat that's complimentary towards you chris this is from the unapologetic apologist <laughs> and he says do you know do you know uh stellman um i recognize him i don't know where i know him from i was just laughing at his his contrast between <laughs> yeah. me and jonathan yeah there you go every week i get this man <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh, yeah, so so thank you so much, Unapologetic Apologist. I appreciate and that. And to think I slummed it one week for him and on his channel, and this yeah. is what I get in return. So, Chris, uh, we want to tell people to get that book and, um, and, and, and check that out because, like you say, they can use it in their writing of papers or in doing whatever ministry projects that might be relevant related to that material. So we definitely want – and by the way, while we're on this, let's just go ahead and do this now. Um, here is – uh, here is Chris's author page on Amazon. Um, if you have multiple books, you can have an author's page. And this is the author's page. Uh, you can get there by, uh, I've put the link in the description, by the way. I've also put the link to Reaping Hell. And, um, but uh, I thought I had it up here somewhere. But while, while you're pulling that up, yeah. Stellman said, Chris, you were on my show and now I remember. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't have the best of memory. The only thing I have a good memory of is, is issues around hell because I'm so constantly debating yeah. it. But um, so yeah. forgive me, Stellman. No, I what you're supposed to say is it was so forgettable <laughs> that you didn't have any recollection of it whatsoever. Chris because... doesn't say things like that. Chris yeah, I'm not a jerk like you are, JP. Made yet for like the tenth week in a row, took a shot at me. So, so here we have um, <laughs> on the screen is you all can see the uh, link. It's in the description, but there it is to Chris's um, author page on Amazon.com. Yeah. While you're there, go check out my author page as well. So, <laughs> so <laughs> what about your author page? Yeah, Chris? yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so anyway, I so, love you too, man. So there are a lot of great resources, a lot of interesting, exciting things. That, um, that you can read about there. And so we're excited that he's got all these books, all this scholarship, all these debates. You could spend a whole day binging on his debates. Yes. Journal journal articles too, by the way, um, which is a nice thing for a professor for sure. to have. Well, you yeah, read just... his one on the, in the, uh, oh, I can't remember. I read the one on apologetics and 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one was published in a journal, a journal called Hope's Reason. Hope's Reason. Um, yeah, and it's and it's on. You know, there's this claim that I mean, I don't want to take over the show and turn it into a topic about hell, but um, it was it was inspired by some comments made by Greg Kokel at Santa Reason a number of years ago, where basically he said that my view of hell takes the wind out of the gospel right. because atheists aren't going to be afraid of ceasing to exist. And so the article demonstrates, I think at least, um, that throughout human history, the fear of dying and of ceasing to exist is a very real fear. Um, and that, and, and it argues that my view of hell may actually resonate more with atheists because it plays on or it trades on the fear of death they already have and at the same time the desire for immortality that they already have as evinced by how much money people are pouring into transhumanism you know uh, right. technological efforts at immortality what so. i really appreciated the most about that article i mean it was a really good article but i like the fact that you went and demonstrated from you know, ancient sources and ancient Greek writers, their fear of death. And so I appreciate your level of detail that you put into that to, to go all the way back to ancient thinkers. Because, and a lot of apologists skip right over that. You know, they, they're, they're all, they, don't, they don't see how the history of ideas have developed throughout history to the, to the modern day. They're only concerned with what's in front of them. So... Well, and it's not just it's not just the historical development that's important, but I mean, I'm just I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, and well, you know why why not leverage um, what the giants who've come before me have had to say, you know? Yeah. All right, so Chris, let's jump into this. Um, I I think uh, there, there's, you know, so this is kind of a double, you know, is double topic sort of thing. We're talking about the nature of Christ, but of course, when you're talking about the nature of Christ, we're talking about the nature of God. And so it's important to talk about the Trinity as well. So this is kind of two things that are one thing. You know, it's, it's often discussed separately, the, the dual natures of Christ and then the Trinity and all that. But um, we're kind of talking about them here. Um, I have someone to kind of I have a, someone who's perhaps an atheist in the audience who made a comment that I think would help to uh, to set this off. And I don't see the comment now. I thought I saved it. But basically they said wait a minute, the Trinity is just a contradiction. It's impossible. It's as simple as that. Is right. that right, Chris? No, it's we, wrong. <laughs> are, we, are we worshiping a contradictory deity? No, and, and I spend some time in my opening statement in my book demonstrating that it's not a logical contradiction, provided that the proper distinctions are made between what Trinitarians have historically called being and person. So, you know, I mean, just uh, we can unpack this as deeply as you want, but in a nutshell, if, if we believed that God is one being and three beings, or one person and three persons, um, then there would indeed be a logical contradiction. But that's not what we're saying. We're saying God is one being in three persons, and provided you understand what is meant by those terms, because by person, we don't mean what we normally use as human, you know, as, as just normal English speakers when we talk, when we use the word person, it has a much more technical definition when we're talking in Trinitarian terms. Um, so as long as you have those definitions properly in mind, there isn't any sort of contradiction at all. Yeah. And, and, and I think in, not to get too far afield, but one of the reasons you should check out the book and the debate with Dale Tuggy is I think that became an interesting part of it, if I remember correctly, that um, your your point was that uh, his he relied on an understanding that when you're talking about 
a being, or we are talking about a person, being and person are synonymous, or at least can be, or are closely enough related that you can't have multiple persons and one being. You, if you have multiple persons, you have multiple beings. Is that right? right. Well, yeah, because he, when he uses the word person, um, he means personal being. So person is just sort of a subcategory of being in his mind. And so as soon as you say God is one being and three persons, he thinks you're saying one being and three personal beings. But that's not what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Chris, guide us through this. If you were to um, give us a taste of uh, a proper understanding of Christology and the Trinity and all those things, where would you begin? Where would you go with this? Well, I mean, first of all, I'm... I am a believer in the Trinity, and and I'm happy to defend it. But for me, the the, the That's more good significant since we just hired you at Trinity College. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, this, um, part of this is just your probation period. See if you can pass it. So no. yeah, I'll see if I get myself into trouble and end up getting fired. Um, yeah, no. So uh, for me, the the much bigger issue is um, the 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 deity of Christ, and that's why when I reached out to Dr. Tuggy to see if he wanted to debate, it was this specific issue that I want to debate. And for me, if I wanted to start making a case for the deity of Christ, I would turn to uh, the biblical data as I do in my debate book. But if what we're if we what if we, if we want to spend our time today making sense of the Trinity and the Incarnation, which is, I think, the way that the title of the YouTube thing, um, uh, the YouTube video has it, um, then we can, then yeah, I'm happy to start talking about th how it is that Trini uh, the Trinity and the Incarnation are not logical, you know, contradictions. So if you want to start there, we could start with um, what it is that we mean as Trinitarians when we say being in person. So, I mean, do you want me to start with that and we'll yeah, go from there? Yeah, let's, let's unpack that. I think that'd be helpful. All right. So there are a couple of ways that we can use the word being. Um, one is to refer and, and uh, to like when I say um, I feel it in the innermost of my being. Right. Um, when I use word being in that sense, I'm talking about what in the language of philosophy um, would be called the substances that make me up. And traditionally, Christ, uh, Christians have said that human beings are a composite of two substances, um, a material body and an immaterial soul. Um, God, of course, has no material substance, and, and he is a pure immaterial substance, spirit, whatever you want to call that. Um, so that's being in this first sense of the word, is, is this the, the substance of God, which is, of course, infinite and eternal and all of that. Um, there's another way we can use the word being, and I'll get to that in a second, but let me turn to person now. I think that by person, um, Trinitarians have historically meant something like a self, an I, um, and not E-Y-E, -E, but the letter I, an I, a, 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 the subject of interpersonal relations. Yeah, right? or, or uh, individuated center of consciousness. So yeah, although I'm not sure that I necessarily want to require that a center of consciousness be part of that. Um, I'm a, I, I do lean in that direction, but at its core, the, I think the, the thing that is most essential, and, and let me back up, I think the reason why I don't necessarily want to do that is because there is this distinction between sort of Latin Trinitarianism and social Trinitarianism. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to think that the uh, the definition of person that I'm about to offer is consistent with either of those. And the reason I think it is is because I, before that debate, the live one that I had with Dr. Tuggy, I reached out to, I think it was James Anderson, who is a teacher at Reformed Theological Seminary, and um, he said that this seems to be 
pretty consistent with either Latin or social Trinitarianism. I'm not sure that saying they're individu individuated centers of consciousness are compatible with Latin Trinitarianism. So that's, but anyway, but but the point is it's a self. And, and he, he, to me, there's something really intuitive about what, what you're saying when you say something like my very being, right? When I, when I talk about my being, I'm talking about the body and the soul that make me up, assuming, of course, human beings have immaterial souls, which is a whole other whole other topic. Um, but that you're wrong about, but we'll skip. Sure. Happy, happy to say that for now. Um, <laughs> but but what is the my? Right. Well, I, right. When I say my being, what is the my or, you know, to who to what or whom does being belong? And that is what I'm calling person. It's it's the self. It's the one um, to which. The, this being that I've been referring to belongs. And now returning back to the other meaning of being, um, you can also speak of not human being in the way I've been, or being in the way I've been describing it, but a being, um, a human being, for example. And when you're talking about a human being, you're talking about both the being and the self that has that being. Now, here's the critical uh, the critical thing that I think makes this logically consistent, even if we don't have any sort of recognizable human analog that we can say, oh, this is this this is an illustration of how this works. But nevertheless, it's logically consistent. This idea of person that I've been ex that I've been explaining, this idea of self is something that subsists within the being of God. And that language of subsistence is not only critical um, and, and we'll get to we'll talk as this conversation goes on about how it resolves the contradiction, but it's also extremely historic. Um, what I learned by reading the, the work of a Catholic scholar named Tim Paul, P-A-W-L, is that the, the, the very ancient language had a distinction between substance and subsistence. And subsistence is the language that is used to describe the persons of the Trinity, whereas substance would describe the being. And what it means for something to subsist in a thing um, you've got the substance of God, which is a concrete entity, and then you've got this selfness, this this personness that I've been describing, and that isn't something that is concrete and exists on its own. It subsists within the being of God. Um, to give you an example, and, and this is an imperfect analogy, but consider um, the, uh, the the Earth and its various fields. Um, we're familiar, for example, with the magnetic field, but there's also a gravitational field, all right? Now, the gravitational field and the magnetic field are not concrete things in and of themselves, right? The fields, the, the, those just describe the forces that are in play um, caused by the substance that is the Earth. So what I could do is I can say that the Earth, uh, th that there's both a gravitational field and a magnetic field that subsist in um, the object that is the Earth, and I can say they're not identical to each other, but there is only one concrete thing, the Earth. And so likewise, I can say that the Father, the Son, and the, and the Holy Spirit are persons, selves, this, this owner of being, um, that all subsist equally and fully within the being of God, and there's no contradiction, because I'm not, um, when I say the Father is God, I'm not saying that the Father is the being of God, I'm saying the Father is the person that subsists in the being of God, and the Son is a person that subsists in the being God, and the Holy Spirit is as well. Um, and so it resolves a contradiction, at least logically, even if it's not something that's super easy for us to, to wrap our minds around. Right, and I think in a bit we're going to get some great analogies that you have to help us with that. But first, I'll, there's a couple of comments that I think are actually important. So um, 
T last says here, um, and I'll try to get that. Let's see. So T last says, you mean your consciousness? Um, it's, and then he said later, it's not that hard, Chris. Um, so, so, uh, I was wondering as I was listening to you too, um, what would be lacking or, or leaving things out by saying that these are three conscious experiences, or perhaps as some people in the philosophy of mind say, um, the, the, I that we're talking, the, the me that, well, that's, that, that's that all has I meant. my innermost being. Yeah, that's all I is, meant by individuated okay, center but of consciousness it, is a separate I distinct from the the father has an eye that's distinct from the son and the yeah. spirit. The spirit has an eye that's distinct mm -hmm. from the son and the father. And the son has an eye that's distinct mm -hmm. from the father and the spirit. Um, mm -hmm. And, of course, I, I try to be real quick. I just like, look, being, there's one in the category of being of God. And then there are three persons in the category of being of God. But one, like Chris said, you know, it's not three persons and one person. It's not three beings and one being. The category of God is one being who One exists being as three persons. Right. As three. It's not so, it, there. Anyone who's taken basic logic should know that there's no contradiction. Right. There's no the contradiction. Thing. If you understand it may be categories, it may be mysterious, but it's not a contradiction. Yeah. Maybe mysterious to some people. But here's the thing: Could we say, as some in philosophy of mind, when they're talking about this, would say, "Would you say that Jesus is an experiencer, and the Spirit is an experiencer, and the Father yes. is an experiencer?" And that's referring to the subjective thing about their person that is that is distinct. That's exactly right. In fact, I think that I quote another Catholic scholar. Um, I'm not Roman Catholic, and I think that certain Roman Catholic doctrines are absolutely horrific and, and her heretical. But um, I think there's nothing wrong with leveraging Catholic scholarship. There's some of it that's really good. Um, and a Catholic that I quoted in my book is named Kenneth Baker, and this is what he says, the person is the possessor of being and the ultimate subject of all existence and activity, while being is that through which the person is and acts. And so I like your language of experiencer. The, the means by which a person experiences is that person's being, right? The, the substances that, that make that person up uh, or in which the person subsists. But the one experiencing isn't the being, it's the person that subsists in the being. Yeah. Um, so I like experiencer, did, that's a good Chris, way. It almost sounds as though when we say, I felt it in my innermost being, it's almost, we never think about it in philosophical way, just a colloquial statement. But frankly, it kind of, it, 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 they, even that statement can be read in the way that you're describing because you're able to mm. use it as an analogy. I, the, the experiencer, um, felt it in my being. Right. That's a that's mm -hmm. an interesting. Yeah, that's helpful. And, and, and even if and you know what, to make it even um, more uh, relatable, I suppose we could use we, we could lean a little bit on sort of the 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 philosophy of mind that has been popular in at least some branches of Christianity or, or some degree within Christianity in which a person is a soul but has a body right um if, if that's true um we still say my soul well wait a minute if a person is a soul what does it mean to say my soul the, the what that seems to me to do is to point intuitively to the idea that there is a distinction between the soul as a substance and the person that experiences through that substance or by means of that substance. Um, Chris, uh, we have a super chat here from Robert Geiler, who is another one of our adjunct faculty. And he oh. says, does Chris see the plurality in God in the Old Testament? And thank you so much, Robert, for that super chat. 
Yeah, thanks, Robert. And now, since I guess I'm an employee of of, uh, of Trinity, I can say thank you for your donation. Yeah, um, well, wait a minute. He's an employee too, but um, uh, yeah, I do. I don't think it's I don't think it's as clear as in the New Testament. But for example, I've always been um, astonished by the language in Genesis 19 uh, in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah by fire from heaven. Um, you know, the text says. I, I think I well, I'd have to bring Logos up, but um, I, the text says the Yahweh rain down fire from from Yahweh in heaven. So here, and this is, and, by, and mind you, this is after the two angels um, that were with God, uh, that seems to be what's going on in at the Oaks of Mamre, where, where they're talking to Abraham and he makes a meal for them or whatever. Well, then one of those three sends the other two to Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's this whole story of the the, the guys that come and try to rape the, the the angels when they're at Lot's house and all of that. It's really fascinating. But but the thing is, is in Genesis chapter 19, you've got this one of those angels on the ground. And by angel, I just mean the, the, this manifestation of either an angelic being or, or God himself. But it says in verse 24 of Genesis 19, then Yahweh rained, down, uh, rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. So at least it seems on the surface as if you've got Yahweh on earth and Yahweh on heaven. Um, but of course, there is only one being that is Yahweh. Um, I think that there are other examples. You've got a really interesting um, phenomena, a phenomenon in what is called the angel of the Lord, the Malach of uh, the Lord, um, who, you know, seems to speak as God. Um, when people see him, they fear they're about to die because they think they've just looked at God. Um, he, he speaks in the first person as God, and yet at the same time, the very definition of that Hebrew word malach, translated angel, is uh, the idea of a messenger. And the whole idea of a messenger is you've got the one carrying the message and then the one on behalf of whom the messenger is delivering the message. So right there in the angel of the Lord, you've got an example well, yeah, as well think, of Chris, plurality in God. If I'm not God. mistaken, isn't there a passage, and maybe you can correct my, maybe I'm, I'm reading this wrong, but I think in Zechariah there's a, there's a passage where you have the angel of the Lord speaking, uh, speaking as though he is God and then speaking. Well, that happens God. all the time. And then speaking. Oh, to, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I I do I, I I don't have it off the top of my head I, no, I wouldn't be able to bring it up right now but we read the whole yeah Bible, so, but so we don't have it memorized <laughs> exactly well I can't even say to have read the whole Bible I, I'm a, I'm a bit of an embarrassment as a Christian in that respect but um uh but yeah so these are just two examples the angel of the Lord and and Genesis 19 and and there are others you know the 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 burning bush you know you seem to have mentions and activity of all three persons there um and there are other examples to which we could turn but it's definitely not as clear i mean i you guys uh, have a certain relationship with james white of alpha and omega ministries but uh but i'm a fan of him and and one of the things that he often says is that the trinity is something that is revealed between the testaments you know it, it namely in the incarnation it's really in the incarnation of the son and his um relationship with his father um as expressed in his person that um where we really see the Trinity come to light in a way that had never been done before. Yeah, so let's not dwell on this one too much longer, but thank you so much, you all, for those incredible super chats. And let's go ahead and move on now. Yeah, let's and get let's, get to, let's get to uh, more of the meat of what you want to say, Chris. Well, and I was going to well, say, before that, now, we're going to get into some analogies, <laughs> which is always uh, dangerous ground for the Trinity. But I think what, what what are you going to give us tonight some of the stuff that you had left out of your uh, yes 
Right. Now, some of us were fortunate enough to get that in advance. Felt so special. Right. And then he scratched, <laughs> scrapped it for this other stuff that wasn't even as good, But in my opinion. so Yeah, but it was on our advice. We didn't advise him, but I think we recommended, like, or I said, hey, you're the master guy at this. I, I don't know what I'm doing. But, uh, but I would say... I don't. I remember what I said. I think. I think that that could unnecessarily. Uh, people could say, "Look, it's a. This is a great example. You have to appeal to a fiction to to make a case for a fiction or something like yeah, that." Yeah. Whatever. Well, anyway, I'm glad that we get the content here because I actually liked it. It's this really stuff good. It's better really good. than what he said to me <laughs> because I thought it was just ingenious. But I, 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 I I'm a sucker for nostalgic pop culture references. So. Well, just I mean, I, I appreciate the, the, appreciated the, the advice, assuming that was, in fact, the advice you guys gave me. I think there were some others who gave me the similar advice. But really, the biggest reason why I ended up taking this stuff out is because of the amount of time that it took from what would otherwise have been and, and did end up being um, additional evidence. You know, everything that we're going to go through here is not in any way, shape or form evidence in support of Trinitarianism and the deity of Christ. It's just a, 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 a way to help us begin to think about it. Um, in a way that otherwise we wouldn't be able to do. I wanted to devote as much of my presentation to the case I was making, and that's ultimately why I removed these. Yeah, All but right. this was cooler. Well, I agree, and that's why we're going to save it for your show. <laughs> right. All right, so lead us, Chris. Well, okay, um, I, uh, where's your, where's my, where are I, my slides? All right, I'm going to go to the PowerPoints now, and uh, this is, let's see. No, no, that's not right. There we go. All right, so here we have slide one of the, yeah, this is the Trinity. Yeah. Right. So, so this is um, this is just the a way to illustrate the difference between um, person and being. And at this point, I was also using the word nature. Um, that's not really important. Um, but here, what you've got is that being in the in the um, uh, in the first way I was describing. Uh-oh, the slide's gone. Oh, that's because I went to another... You, you moved it out of my field of vision. Yeah. There you go, sorry. <laughs> that's, that's all right. right. Um... So human being, with that little super, uh, subscript number two, is, is the first of those senses of, of human being that I was talking about, the, the substances in which a person subsists. Um, so in this case, it would be a, a body and a soul. Um, but the I, the, the self, the person, is um, I'm, on, I'm on the bottom layer on the bottom, the moderator of our debate, Keegan Chandler, I think is his name. He's on the right. And then Dale Tuggy is at the top. Um, we, they're, they're interpersonal. That's why they're the arrows pointing between each of the, the three of them, but they all subsist in the, the, the being, uh, of the, of the, in that second definition of the word. And then the combination of the person and the substances in which he subsists is, um, the, is the being in the other sense of the word, the, uh, being. So this was just to sort of prime the pump, if you will, get people to start thinking in, in these terms. And then I start to turn into um, analogies that are not at all illustrations of the Trinity or anything, but they are. Yeah, somebody's saying that there's a bad echo. Is it my echo? Yeah, no, I think I'm hoping I took care of it now, but I'm waiting for confirmation from them. OK, they're saying yes. That's good. <laughs> OK, I got it. OK, good. Good. Yeah. Right, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. So. Sure. Well, so if you go to the next slide, this is where I start to introduce analogies, not illustrations of the Trinity, but analogies that will help us to understand 
that there's that the relationship between person and being can be more complicated than we might initially think. You know, we're so used to ordinary universal human experience that that tends to be what we where we try to go when we try to make sense of this distinction between person and being. But what I like about the analogies that we're going to look at here is that they start to get you to think, huh, maybe maybe it's not quite as simple as I thought. So here, for example, and, and I had animation here and you've taken out the uh, animation because you're a jerk and it would have been so much cooler, but that's all right. Do but the best I uh, can, this Chris. Is... Come on, man. <laughs> but but this was what that slide looked like after all of the animation was complete. So you've got the the um the, the being, the substance the substances in which Biff Tanner uh, Biff Tannen subsists. Biff Tannen is a character from the Back to the Future series. And there's this really famous scene, uh, series of scenes, actually, a whole portion of Back to the Future Part 2, where Biff Tannen from the future, I actually think it's 2020, or at least really close to 2020, goes back in time and interacts with himself from earlier. And so this illustration is showing, um, look, you've got one human being, arguably, one, one substance in which uh, this person subsists, but he's multiply, multiple times over right next to each other. Um, now, this analogy is imperfect because um, it is the it, you know there's time travel involved and stuff like that. And so this isn't the best analogy, but it does start to get, get you to think, well, are we dealing with one human being here or two? Um, it's certainly two persons because they interact with each other, they talk with each other. But is there two human beings there? That's a little bit more of a difficult question. But let's yeah. go on to the next slide and start to talk about where it gets even more interesting. Yeah, we'll do that. Um, first, Chris, I wanted to say you got we got a super chat here from Hunter Bailey, and he says, uh, can I have a copy of these slides? Not uh, for a buck ninety nine. Come on, man. <laughs> you're gonna pay us. I'm, I'm, you're that's gonna pay a joke. Us, that's a joke. You're gonna pay us two dollars for Chris to give you his slides. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. That's right. talk to Chris about that. He could if he wants to make those available. That's. I, I will say this though, Trinity professors, yeah. we give away our course PowerPoint slides to our students because we want them to take what they've learned and teach it to others. So you do want him to so, pay more than a buck ninety nine. You want him to become a student now so that he can get the slides. <laughs> well it, it's fine. Just just email me at chrisdate at rethinkinghell.com. Mention that you saw me on Trinity Radio and would like a copy of the slides and I'm happy to send them to excellent. you. Excellent. Excellent. All right, we're so you want to go on to the next are you still Yeah, let's go on to the next yeah, one. Okay. All right, so here we are. Okay, yeah. So this is this is interesting. Um, this is really the same idea, though. Um, this Zathra is sort of like, um, uh, uh, gosh, why can't I remember the name of the the movie? Um, Jumanji. Jumanji. Um, yeah. But it's right. But it's a but it's more of a science fiction one. It's the same concept, though. A person goes back in time and talks to himself. So you can skip past this slide. We've already discussed that. Yeah. But this we, is where should, it's start to get point is, we shouldn't say Happy New Year's when twenty twenty one comes. We should say Jumanji. Because well, you have to know to see the movie to know. <laughs> All right, right, here, right, here we go. All right, number four. Yeah, this so this is this is where it gets really interesting. Um, you can't the animation. This is the final version after the animation is done. So what you can't see is that under that picture of um, John Cusack and the other actors in that scene is the character in this movie that has multiple personality syndrome or, or dissociative identity disorder, I think is what they call it now. So you've got this really interesting phenomenon. Now, now there's certainly scientific dispute over whether, to what extent, dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder is a real thing. But 
it's at least something we can conceive of. In fact, it was the premise of that um, the the, tr- the third movie in the Shyamalan's trilogy, uh, Unbreakable trilogy, right? The um, yeah. Split, I think, it was with John McAv or, or uh, uh, McAvoy was the actor's name. Anyway, you've got this phenomenon where you've got one human being, the 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 guy that has the multiple personality syndrome, but simultaneously within his mind are all these individuated persons, all these individuated selves who talk with one another and who, you know, interact with one another. So here it seems like you've got 11 persons, according to the source of all knowledge, Wikipedia, 11 persons all subsisting simultaneously within the being of this one human being um, whose face you can't see under that, that picture. So, you could start to see that the relationship between person and being, even though in ordinary human experience seems pretty vanilla one-to-one, it starts to get a little bit more complicated when you start to think about these fictional, um, these fictional things. But let's go to the next one. The next slide. Now this is, yeah, I do. So, um, this is something that's fascinated me for a while now. There, this, this is a movie called Sky High, and the reason why I went with Sky High is because it's a kids' movie, and so it's it's um, it's not particularly cerebral. Like it's like it doesn't take a lot of work to wrap your mind around. But there are other examples in in the X Men and in, and in uh, the Watchmen. For those of you who are familiar with the Watchmen, there's I think his name is Doctor Manhattan or something like that, and he can split into multiple selves and grow. I mean, there's just these the examples of this are all over the place. But this character Penny Lent in Sky High, she had her power is the ability to split apart into multiple instances of ourselves it's one being if you kill the 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 the, per, the being um all those persons vanish and, the, and you have a one being that's dead on the ground but she's able to split apart into multiple person persons right multiple um subjects of interpersonal relationships such that they're able to talk to each other they're able to interact they're even able to perform cheers in in um synchronization you know synchronized cheers with each other but it's all one being it's all one human being penny land now let me um, let me stop, let me stop one thing minute, that was Chris. T- uh, i'm sorry yeah go ahead let, let, me, let me say this so in case anybody out there doesn't understand exactly what's going on which i think they probably do but i just want to make something clear here so the you know the criticism that one could if they wanted to be particularly unsophisticated level at chris <laughs> is they could say the the yeah these are fictional that you're pointing to a bunch of fictional stuff that doesn't that mean something no because what we're doing here is chris is providing um, thought experiments that come to us yeah. from pop culture. And in, in fact, and this happens all the time in philosophy of mind. Uh, in fact, there was just a discussion on capturing Christianity the other day between, I think, a couple of philosophers uh, about this. And, and the point was, the point is, if you're able to conceive of something, and as far as you can tell, there are no contradictions in it, it doesn't mean that it's true, but that is a guide when you're, when you're working through your thinking. And if, it, um, and, and if it's coherent... Um, then, then that's incredibly helpful. So these are thought experiments, and the whole point is just to show these are actually, I think, Chris, as much as they are illustrations of what you know, uh, ways to think about things that the Trinity doesn't seem so odd. But on top of that, they are defeaters to the claim that this can't be the case, because we yes. can imagine coherent examples of how it could be the case, right? That's right. And and you know, I really, um, it, to be perfectly honest. Um, I, when somebody says, yeah, but you're you're having to turn to fiction for this, and my answer is, well, so effing what, right? I mean, we're dealing, we're trying to figure out a way to understand a being that transcends all, all created experience, 
right? Um, yes, human beings and all other creatures are universally unipersonal. But so what? Um, God is eternal. We are finite in time. God is uh, omnipotent. Our power is limited. And on and on the contrast could go. So why, just because everything that we've experienced here on in, in this created cosmos, just because it's all unipersonal, why should we think that God must also be unipersonal? I just can't even wrap my mind around that that way of thinking. Yeah, I mean, C.S. Lewis commented about that. I think it was in Mere Christianity. He's like, you know, just because it's not simple doesn't mean it's not true. I mean, you know, yeah, it would be more simple if we didn't have to deal with the Bible and the revelation that we're given of God's, you know, self-disclosure of what God is like. And we get, I mean, reasonably, I, and, and I think you showed this in your debate with Del Tuggy, that if you take the Bible seriously, uh, the concept of the Trinity flows from, you know, what the Westminster Confession would say is a good necessary consequence of the data of Scripture, where you have three different That's right. persons, you have one being. So, so yeah, it would be simpler if that weren't the case, but if that's not what God is like, and there's evidence that God exists, there's evidence that God raised Jesus from the dead, therefore Christianity is true, this is what God's like. Now, just because it's not simple enough for you doesn't mean that it's false. Yeah, there's a, yeah. a lot. So, quantum superposition is incredibly complicated, <laughs> you know, but it's true, right? All right, let's right. jump back into the PowerPoint here. Sure. Um, and then I'll just add one more thing about this slide. One of the interesting things I observed when I was watching this movie to re refresh my memory about her is that sometimes she's taught these persons, these 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 persons that subsist in the being of Penny Lent communicate with each other. But then at other times they speak in unison as the one Penny Lent, which which I think is relevant because sometimes you've got the persons that subsist in the being of God talking to one another, but then you've also got them, um, you know, Yahweh speaks as if it's one person all throughout the Old Testament. Um, so this kind of illustrates in a way that even children are able to um, relate to on some level, because it's in this kid's movie, um, that the relationship is more between person and being is more complicated than, than one might initially think. Now, I think if I remember correctly, it's at this point that I start to transition into not Trinity, but incarnation. Um, let's go to the next slide and see if my, if my memory serves me rightly. Yeah, okay. So this is interesting. Um, this is a movie that a friend of mine recommended that I see um, well before I had this deba debate planned with Tuggy. Um, I'd encourage people to check it out. It's a, it's a funny, interesting movie. It's, it's kind of low budget. It's not a blockbuster by any stretch of the imagination. But this character, Gloria, that you see on the left, she is right now um, looking at her friend who is on a bench, a park bench, who is – looking at a live news feed of this gigantic Godzilla-sized monster in Tokyo, if I remember correctly. And what's fascinating is that monster in Tokyo is not it has no person in and of itself. There's no consciousness. There's no mind. Um, in fact, when she, when Gloria steps onto the the dirt that you can see there, um, off of the grass and over the barrier of the of the play area and into the dirt, that monster instantaneously appears in Tokyo, provided it's at the right time. But if she steps back out into the grass, it vanishes. So that that monster in Tokyo has no um, existence apart from um, Gloria's existence. And there's only one I, there's only one subject of interpersonal relation, and that's Gloria. And every move she makes, you can even kind of make it out in the slide there, every movement that she makes, the monster's making. So here you've got two beings 
and one person. And of course, this is what the hypostatic union, the, the doctrine of incarnation says, is that you've got the person that is the son subsisting both in the divine being, the substance of God, uh, and in a human being in time. Um, but I think there are some other interesting analogies that I offer here for helping us think about that as well. What's the next slide? Oh, yeah, so here's just the little diagrams to show that. The only person here is Gloria, and she subsists naturally, by, by design, in the in her human being. But whenever she steps onto this um, play area, she's also simultaneously subsisting in the monster's being. And so that's what that diagram is trying to show. And and we'll see... Go ahead. Yeah, two, two beings and one person. Right. Well, you said one... Did you say in or and? Two beings... And one person. And one person. That's right. That the person subsists simultaneously in two beings. That's right. Using that second, the, the, the definition of being of the substances in which a person subsists. Um, but I like, the, if I remember correctly, I like the next analogy too, just because I'm a nerd and I was into role-playing games when I was a kid. <laughs> I wasn't allowed to play Dungeons and Dragons, Chris, because my parents were afraid it would give a foothold to the devil. That's not uncommon. I was not raised by very practicing Christians, and so I was able to do a lot that maybe you were not. <laughs> um, but that, that woman on the left is an actress. I don't know her name. Um, oh, I guess I do. It's right there on the screen. Shelby Farrow. The character on the right is her Dungeons & Dragons character, Brawlin Chainminer. Um, you can tell by her squat appearance that she's a dwarf in D&D. You have uh, elves and other things. And, um, you know, this is, a, of course, a fiction. Um, when, when we play uh, role-playing games, when people like me play Dungeons & Dragons, the character we're playing doesn't really exist, but all of these illustrations don't really exist. But imagine if if it did. Well, you've got the the person, uh, sorry, the, the 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 human being Shelby, um, and and the person that subsists in Shelby, um, existing sort of in our world that we're familiar with. But at the same time, she's performing the actions of her character in D and D, the the, the dwarf um, named Brawl and Chainminer. So similar to that other previous example we looked at, you've got one person that is Shelby Farrow simultaneously, at least during game time, subsisting in both her human being in this world and her dwarf being in the Dungeons and Dragons world. Really helpful, um, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, again, it's a fiction, um, but but uh, the idea here is to set aside the fact that it's fiction for a moment and imagine if it weren't fiction, then what I'm saying here would hold true and would be rational, even if... Right, um, so it's not, it's not a contradiction to say one person and two beings any more than is a contradiction for the Trinity to be one being and three persons. And these illustrations help us to think in those kinds of ways to clear out the, 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 that common refrain that this is problematic or we have no, you know, there's no, no way to match onto that. Or if someone asserts as was previously that it's just a contradiction, which of course it isn't. And all of these other illustrations show that even though as the, Sticker says at the top right, these are not models of the, you know, incarnation. Right. They're not models for the Trinity. But what they are is demonstrations that shoot down the criticism that we can't conceive of this or that it's problematic or that it's contradictory because we see this in other instances that, that we don't ever object to in the same 
way that people would object to the Trinity. And okay. somebody had yeah. said in the chat we, that three persons was arbitrary, why not five or more or whatever. That's actually not true at all. If you go back to what I said earlier, the reason why that we have three persons in the Trinity is because of divine revelation. If you accept Christianity is true, then you step into the worldview of the Christian and you can receive from divine revelation that God has revealed himself as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So, Yeah. I mean, theoretically, theoretically, there might be other persons that subsist yeah. in the being of God, but the ones that have been revealed to us are Father, yeah. Son, and Spirit. I'd be, be interested, father, by the, the way— the Son, the Spirit, and Bill, but we don't know anything about Bill. <laughs> right. You know? right. Hey, exactly. Hey, hey, real quick, we have a pretty persistent uh, questioner, and we don't mind that. Edward I was hoping says, you'd ask this. this if I good. killed God— would I also kill three persons? My answer to that is good luck. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with that answer, but I'm happy to just say, yeah, if it were possible to kill the being of God, then all persons who subsist in that being would cease to live as well. See, I um, agree I with your see... answer. I just, I don't agree with the question as framed. If I killed God, would I also kill as if those were separate from God? Right. Exactly. So, it, it, by key, by killing God, you are, if, if that were possible, you'd be killing the persons that subsist in God's being. That's right. right. Just as in you, the same way. You go ahead. In the same way that if Penny Lent, that Sky High character we were looking at a moment ago, if you killed her, the 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 being in which those persons subsist, they'd all die. All along the doppelgangers would go away, right? Or right, exactly. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, so, Chris, where do we go from here? Um, well, so now let's talk about this idea of killing. Um, God, because of course we believe that God in that Christ is God incarnate, and this is something that came up in the course of my debate with Dr. Tuggy. Um, he said it's logically incoherent. Um, and by the way, let me just say something on the side here. Um, going into this debate and even afterwards, Dr. Tuggy was insistent that his arguments were against the Trinity and against the incarnation were not um, philosophical. They were. Um, they were based on scripture. But what is clear to anybody who reads the book um, is that that's, it is in fact philosophy, because his arguments um, are really only from two texts that say the same thing. It's where Jesus says to his father, you are the only true God. Now that doesn't in and of itself disprove the incarnation. It's only when he apply, when when Dr. Tuggy applies his philosophical reasoning, his logical reasoning, that it starts to appear as if it's a, a challenge. Um, so what I did in the book was I tried to offer some possible, not mutually exclusive ways to demonstrate that it's not illogical um, to believe in the historic doctrine of the incarnation. Um, and, and this is what I want to talk about now. When so Tuggy spends a lot of time in his presentation saying, look, you can't have – Jesus can't be mortal as he was until he rose from the grave immortal if he's also God because God is immortal. You can't have – it's impossible to be both mortal and immortal at the same time. Same thing with omnipotent and finite in power, omniscient and limited in knowledge. All right, So you can see um, – and, and this is a really clear and straightforward application of the first law of contradiction – of non-contradiction, right? Something cannot both be and not be. Now, somebody who – is familiar with philosophy and with logic knows that I only quoted that first law of non-contradiction halfway. Right. And this is what I point out in the book is that that law actually goes on to say some more things. It in says something. Sense. And do you remember JP? 
It's not just in the same sense. What, what's the other one? Oh, um... Oh, I'm showing JP up. Yeah, show me up, man. Tell him. <laughs> it's it's at the same time and in the same sense. Um, so That's the only way. Said. Oh, I didn't hear you say at the same time. I only heard you say in the same sense. You I guess said I'm at the, the same idiot. time, and I said, and I was adding at the same sense. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, also oh, anyway, so what I demonstrate is. I was look, thinking you had a third clause that I never heard before. Well, we can refer people to the tape. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just didn't hear you when I was talking. I apologize. My bad. I was I was so hoping I got one over on you. Um, no, cause... You're, you're talking about you can't be immortal and uh, mortal at the same time. You can't be this and that. So I was saying the other part of that is in the same gotcha. sense. The kind of, you know, Understood. Stuff. But then you said yeah, something. I, I was like, oh, man, is there a third clause to that that I've never heard before? Well, now I want to invent one and get it like on the books. But anyway, <laughs> so – so basically the only way that it's illogical or it's incoherent to believe in the incarnation is if Jesus is both mortal and immortal at the same time and in the same sense. Right. And this is really important because Christians have never said that Jesus is these things um, in the same way or at the same time. Um, so for example, um, first, so first let's talk about time. All right. Um, you know, there's all, there's this whole debate about a theory and B theory and stuff like that. Um, it seems this, and, and, and there are going to be some who don't buy what has been known historically as the doctrine of divine timelessness. Um, but I don't think you even need to go that far to say that God exists in a, and I'll, we can get to Edward's question in a second. Um, once I'm done with the, at the time, at the same time part, if you'd like, and then we'll get to the, at yeah, the, sure. in the same sense part. Go ahead. Um, but even if God isn't timeless in his very being, I still think it's reasonable to think that he exists in another dimension of time, if you want to put it that way. Um, after all, what does the Bible say? It doesn't just say that a day to us is like a thousand years to God. It also says the other way around, right? A thousand years to us is like a day for him. So God exists naturally outside of our experience of time. And by definition— that means that whatever happens to the incarnate God on uh, the incarnate son in our time is not happening at the same time as the being of God in which he subsists outside of our creative right, But time. you know, Chris, that works either way. I mean, on, on a, on a t divine timelessness model or because on a divine timelessness, on a divine timelessness model, it's still not happening at the same time because in that's the, my the point. That's right. 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 Or if God has a meta time, it's not happening at the same time. So either way, that works, yeah. That's right. So when Jesus dies in our time, that doesn't mean that the sun dies in hyper-time, meta-time, or timelessness, it, uh, because they're not happening at the same time. Um, there's, no, there's no contradiction there. Nor does it happen in the same sense, because dying in a human nature is not identical to dying <laughs> in a divine nature. Well, that's what I was going to get to is that what it means for something to die is different. You don't even you don't even necessarily need to say um, I mean, I agree with you that what you know, that, you, that, that we could say Jesus's human nature died, but not as divine nature. But I think you can actually make it simpler and just say what it means for a human to die is not the same thing for what it means for God to die. Right. For a human to die is either 
to have the the body and soul separate and the body becomes inert and the soul continues to subsist consciously after death. Or if you're somebody who holds to a different view of philosophy of mind like me and Nick Quint and a few others, um, you would say that death is when the human body ceases to be animated by the life-giving breath of God and God's breath returns to himself. Either way, that's not what it would mean for God to die because God doesn't have breath. He doesn't have um, a, a human – he doesn't have a body. So for so what it means for a human to die isn't the same thing as for God to die, and as such, God incarnate can die in the way it means for a human to die, without making God uh, mortal in in what in terms of what it means for God to die. Right. Does that make sense? It does. Of course, everything you say makes sense. <laughs> Tell my wife that until <laughs> and, yeah, until you start talking about that thing that you and Nick Quint think that I don't think. Exactly. All right, let's uh, let's 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 take a look at Edward's thing now, because you may have just sure. answered it indirectly. So sure. he yeah, wants well, to know I think that's what we, happened exactly. Yeah, if we killed God, which happened two thousand years ago, did all three persons die too? If yes, then the Father and Holy Spirit died too. If no, how are they not separate? So you did answer that already, and that's an important thing to say. But secondly, yeah, the, the we're thing only, we're only arguing that the person Jesus died. Right. The person died, Jesus. Two thousand years ago. The Death Star exhaust port you're looking for is on the being of God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd have to eliminate the being of God, right? Yeah, yeah for all three That's persons right. to die. And no. when you kill Jesus yeah, and, incarnate, Jesus dies, not the entire Godhead. And thank you for the super chat. Well, and, and no part of the divine being died. Right. Um, that's that's important as well. So remember, going back to my, my diagrams that we were looking at, the person of Jesus subsists in the human in his human being and in the divine being. That person experienced human death. He he experienced what it means for a human to die, but that doesn't mean that his divine nature died. But I'll just add that the the issue of time um, answers this question as well, either in addition to the sense uh, clause or instead of the sense clause. You know, this is why I say they're not mutually exclusive explanations. It could be one or the other or both, and there might be others. Um, if the divine being exists outside of our time, in hypertime, metatime, non-time, whatever you want to call it, the only person that subsists in that divine being that became incarnate and entered our time is the sun. And because the you know what happens in our time by definition isn't at the same time as what's happening outside of time outside of our time, then when Jesus died uh, in our time by definition it has no effect on the divine being that is outside of created time. So in both senses, both in the sense of sense and in the sense of time, Edward's question just doesn't hold up to scrutiny. All right, so uh, awesome. We've covered a lot of ground. Well, where would you go next with this, Chris? Or, or what, what do we have left? Um, I don't know. Do, do you think that there are any um, uh, gaps left to fill in making Trinity and Incarnation in co are, are coherent, demonstrating that it's coherent? Because I don't, I think, don't so. think so. That, the, and so then the, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and so then the question becomes, does the biblical data support um, the doctrines of Trinity incarnation such that we need to appeal to such things in order to make it coherent? And of course, I think it does, and I spend my book trying to demonstrate so. Yeah, and, and you teach at a seminary now that's called Trinity, so obviously we agree with you. Yeah, and, and the thing about yeah. it is, we've said this already tonight, but the first person I ever heard put it—I mean, I knew I was aware of the concepts before— um, 
but but the first time I ever heard anyone put it so flatly and plainly was Jerry Walls. He said, um, look, it's not one person who exists as three persons. It's not one being and three beings. It's not one God and three gods. It's one God, three persons. That yeah. w- w- when, when that was said like that, I thought that's, that's simple. Because what that illustrates, if someone says, well, that just sounds like word salad or something. Well, first, it's not word salad. But secondly, what that shows... What that shows is that there isn't a contradiction. Now, you may still think it sounds strange. You may think it sounds mysterious. You, it's not even paradoxical. It's, it's, and it's certainly not a contradiction. Well, let me let me play the devil's advocate. I'm not even going to do it, put it that way. But but I agree with you, provided that being in person are understood correctly. Because imagine if I said, imagine if I showed you a piece of paper with a square drawn on it, and I said, yeah, that's just one shape. That's one shape, but three squares, right? You 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 would laugh at me and say I haven't actually demonstrated that there's no logical contradiction. Um, but the reason why that way of putting the reason why that fails uh, to render it coherent is because a square is a shape, right? A square is a kind of shape. And this goes back to what I was saying about Tuggy. When if you just think that person is just a, a kind of being, well, then saying being and one being in three persons is still incoherent. Um, so you've got to really make sure that you're you're under you're using the word person. But you fixed in all, a, but, but Chris, you fixed all those definitions for us tonight. <laughs> That's a good point. I, look, I did look, try to look do here, that, Chris. Yeah. yeah, but people, you may need to watch this twice because we're not arguing that the Trinity is simple. So no. uh, when when we study and, and and I can remember my first systematic theology class, you could probably remember yours. Sometimes you have to read these things several times in order for it to click. And same way with listening to someone talk about it, you may need to review it. Nobody's claiming this is simple. But the good thing is, is that um, there's a little bar that you can rewind and listen to the video again. Yeah. So, So, all right, um, Chris, I don't know if you see this here, but Robert Geiler, again, one of your colleagues now, says, thanks, Chris. (laughs) A birthday present for Nick Quint to get his question answered. Does Chris have thoughts on if Unitarians affirm a form of subordinationism? Well, that's interesting. Um, I I suppose it depends on what you mean by Unitarian and what you mean by subordinationism. Um, Unitarians, that's a large category. And people may not realize this, but that includes some people who think Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm talking about— Like a mobile um, type— Yeah, exactly. Oneness Pentecostals, modalists, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They think that there is, in fact, just one being and one person, and that Jesus, that that one person is Jesus, is the Father, is the Spirit, etc. And obviously, I think they would, that would not be a form of subordination, because to whom would Jesus be subordinate, right? I mean, he's, that's, there's only one person. Um, so I'm not sure that they would affirm some sort of subordinationism. Bib, uh, the, the people that go by biblical Unitarian, Unitarian uh, that, that language, like Dale Tuggy, and that's not language I'm comfortable using, by the way, because I don't think it's biblical. Um, but what they would say is Jesus is not God, um, but, that, uh, but that God has made Jesus his sort of representative agent. And... Um, you know, just like a king. Do you remember? Do you remember that scene in? Um, I, I don't know if you guys watch really secular movies like I do, but I like the movie Three Hundred. Have you guys seen that? Yeah. When it was in theaters years and years ago. Sure. Well, we're getting. I'm getting pretty old, so I can. <laughs> I can talk about something that that's old. That's that many years ago. But he. Um. There's a scene in which the messenger from uh, the king of Persia arrives at uh, King Leonidas's at Sparta. 
right? And and it's this is this, that famous scene where um, where King Leonidas um, says, "This is Sparta," and he kicks the the messenger into the pit. Well, that messenger was acting on behalf of the king of Persia and carried a lot of the authority um, that that uh, that the king has by virtue of being an agent of the king of Persia. And and the so-called biblical Unitarians would the say would the say say the same thing about Jesus. He's got an incredibly lofty and elevated authority um, and even power to hear prayers, to raise people from the dead and all sorts of stuff like that, forgive sins. Um, but he's not the father. He's not God in the truest sense of the word as the father is. And yes, they would say that the son is subordinate to the father. And so I think that kind of Unitarianism would affirm a form of subordinationism. I don't know if that answers Nick's question, but well, I, I, mean, I, I think, think it all does. Christians, in a sense, even Trinitarian Christians, would would say that there was a sense of subordination between the the, the Son and the Father during His earthly at ministry. Least, the big right, debate at least among, beginning at the incarnation. Yeah, yeah, but the big debate between Trinitarians is whether that subordination it has is eternal. Is eternal. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't take a stance on that. I, I don't see a whole lot of biblical evidence for that. Um, but at the same time, I know it's an extremely historic view. And so until I'm forced to make a decision, I'm going to stay on the fence <laughs> on that particular question. Well, I like the fence, man. That's what I, I championed. The yeah, but I got to get you down off the fence on, on hell. Yeah, I don't want to be on the fence if I don't have to be on the fence. Uh, Air Church says I'd hire him for sure. He had previously said this is his job interview. Um, if you if you if you, had, if you had any idea how gracious Chris is with us, you'd say that this is his interviewing of us. Yeah. But um, no, but no, I, I've been a big fan of you guys for a while, and um, uh, and and just you know, you guys have said a lot of really kind words about me, and I, and I appreciate it. But I do want people to know that your opinions about my graciousness and my humility and stuff like that are based on very limited. Uh, experience with me, and the reality is, I can be a real d bag at times, and and sometimes I get really no, I know. prideful and arrogant. I, and, no, uh, I know this part about you. <laughs> I already so, know this part about you. You're demonstrating that it's not true by saying what you just said. No, no, no it, it is, is true, true <laughs> but I'm working on it, and and you know, I'm a, I'm a work in progress to use the phrase that we Christians often like to use. Yeah, well, so well, I like to point out just that, that I agree with you that you can be that. I just don't care. It's fine. <laughs> Well, I'm certainly, I don't do it as often as you do, at least. <laughs> you never have hurt my feelings, even if you try to, so. Well, Chris, we've been time. going, we've been going for an hour and 17 minutes. Um, do you feel like we've reached a plateau here? Yeah, I'm happy with where we left things off. You know, the, the great thing I think about what we've discussed is that um, there's still a whole lot of the book, including a whole lot of my opening statement for people to read. I think, I'll say one last thing about the book. Um, if you watch... Trinitarians debate Unitarians very often. I mean, just as recently, uh, just a couple of months before my debate with Dr. Tuggy, he debated Michael Brown, of whom I'm an enormous fan. But I think Michael Brown did, made a mistake that a ton of other Trinitarians make when they go into a debate, which is I'm going to find dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of texts and throw them at my my debate opponent um, just to try and make as clear, as huge a case as possible to show people that, um, that this is an extremely biblical doctrine. But imagine you're in the audience and you see somebody like Tuggy offer plausible sounding explanations for a small percentage of the texts that Michael Brown brings up. 
Well, the Tuggy can say, look, in, in a debate like this, I've got an extremely limited amount of time to rebut what Michael Brown has presented. I've, I've only had time to rebut these points. Um, but trust me, all those other points have easy, good, you know, really good explanations for them as well. So when you throw tons and tons and tons of material out in a debate like that, um, it gives your debate opponent the opportunity to sidestep your strongest points and pick at low hanging fruit. So what I hope yeah. that that readers will appreciate about this debate book if they buy it is that and it's available on Kindle too, um, not just paperback, is that uh, and, and I think we're working on a Logos edition eventually as well, or at least Faith Life. Um, what I what I tried to do was remove that opportunity for Dale Tuggy. I didn't give him any low hanging fruit. I chose three texts and three texts alone: um, Philippians two, the Carmen Christi, there's the very beginning of Hebrews, um, and uh, an interesting thing in which Jesus um, uh, says to Jerusalem, "How often I've longed to gather you like hen, like chicks under my wings." And uh, I'll let I'll let readers figure out why that's relevant here. But here's what's great about using these three three. Um, three arguments instead of dozens, he he had nowhere he could go. He couldn't pick off at low-hanging fruit. And if you read, uh, if you hear what people say who have read it, they'll tell you, um, I mean, just, just yesterday, somebody who read it, the whole book in one day, said, I was astonished at how Tuggy had no rebuttal at all for those texts, except to say, they're, uh, he just kind of like dismisses them. But he doesn't really dive into them. And so readers come away thinking, well, wait a minute, if Tuggy can't explain these texts, um, then what about the host of other texts that I didn't bring up in the course of the debate? Right. So that's what I would encourage people to do um, when you're debating people on this or any other topic. Don't give your debate opponent low-hanging fruit um, so that they can pick off in what little time they have to rebut it. Give them the hardest stuff possible and let them squirm um, because I think that will – I think that's what happened in this debate and I'll be, I'll, I'll be interested to hear what readers think. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading I have not read it. I have read your other works, um, but I have not read this one. I want to though. Um, Chris, uh, we have a friend. I don't know if you know MJ Jackson, From but Urban, uh, Apologetics Institute. Urban Apologetics. He's also a Trinity student, and he says, "Grace and peace, gentlemen. I got the job, Doctor Pritchett." Amen. We've been praying for him. Uh, now, now there was two jobs actually, MJ, that you were talking about. One of them was the social work job. Um, was that the one that you that you had gotten? Uh, Listen to how well Doctor Pritchett knows his students. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> well, he had talked about he had talked about getting a job, but then he said that his uh, a relative I can't remember because I have a bad, but but somebody uh, had had tried to get him to do another job interview as well. But I know that he was looking forward to. So if he's still listening, if he's not, that's well, fine. we're proud to have you, Matt. I'll, I'll talk to him. On thank you for that super yeah. chat again. Don't let your wife know how much super chat you give to Trinity Radio right. and. Well, uh, I, I think I think that whatever the case is, he, he probably won't be because uh, I I think like Chris, some people are willing to you know, uh, for 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 whatever reasons take less pay, and I don't know if that's what he's doing or not, but it seemed it seemed to me that 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 um sometimes when you go from certain job to job, you may not have to. So we appreciate every every um. Every gift that that everyone gives us, but I especially appreciate Matt because he's consistent. Um, there's a question: Did Jesus fart? Yes, he was made in every way. Like he's 
that's a that's a troll, by the way. Um, he does the same thing every episode of Rethinking Hell Live, and and one of your uh, moderators in your chat, Susan, uh, she's going by Slam RN. She she's she does that for us in, at Rethinking during Rethinking Hell Live is delete that guy's stupid comments. Slam um, RN really, is the official yeah. moderator for all apologists and theology channels on the internet. Right? <laughs> is that right? But I mean, that's hey, awesome. it's a you know what? When I was in Sunday school at Southern Baptist Church, those are the kind of questions that. You you would ask in the Sunday school class of the Southern Baptist Church. And fair enough, I'll answer it. Yeah, he farted. Yeah, that's right. And he belched. And uh, you want to get real? I mean, he, during his adolescence, he probably had nocturnal emissions. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, maybe. Um, you you heard anyway. it here on Trinity Radio, folks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, really quick, Jonathan, is, is Misty your, your wife? Yes. Um, you've told me on a couple of occasions that she's like a big Chris Tate fangirl, right? Yeah, she, she is. And, and well, hi, is. Misty. <laughs> I just wanted to say hi. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, well, listen, I think everyone can see that what we've got here, I know you get, you, you feel awkward whenever I brag on you, but honestly, I brag on all our professors, but I'm so proud to have you because I think Thank what you. we have here is someone who everyone can see is down to earth. Um, we can tell that from the most recent comments made here. And he's, uh, he's, he's, he's incredibly honest. There've been several moments tonight. Just, just the honesty is, is there. Um, but incredibly knowledgeable. And so I'm just so proud to have you, Chris. And, um, I'm going to go ahead and start the outro music. Is there anything else you want to say There's before we go? Say. Okay. Uh, say it. Say. All right. Look, say it. You have a few hours left, but today was day one of Chris Featherstone's annual 8,000 push-up challenge. And so you got to do 260 a day to get 8,000 by the end of July. He's been doing this. This is his eighth year. It's my first year to do it. So if you want to join the squad, and come on, get your 260 push-ups in before midnight. And if you want, and if you're an undergrad student or, or want to be an undergrad student and want to learn Hebrew and Greek, then uh, enroll at Trinity and you'll get to have me as a professor, for better yeah. or for worse. TrinitySem.edu, TrinitySem.edu. If you go there right now, go to the right-hand side of the page, there is a request for more information. That is your first step. If you want to just call us tomorrow morning after 8 o'clock Central Standard Time, you can certainly do that. But you can definitely fill out that and get you can get a head start on these things if you go ahead and fill out that request for information. I mean, listen, you get to you get to learn from Chris Day. You get to learn from Leighton Flowers, two of our professors who have had a debate before. Two Endless debates. hours and hours you of get to, on and on. About. You get to learn from Jonathan Pritchett and Steve Gregg. And you even get to learn from me. And but you know what? And our other great professors, there is another Roy Harkness and yeah. Jim Chatham yeah. and Ingrid Buckwagler and, and Daphne Elliott. Washington and Elbert Elliott. But yeah. guess what, folks? There's another mystery faculty member coming. <laughs> if that, listen, I, at this point, there, there are there are not a lot of schools that that I wouldn't put our faculty up against. And you're part of that, Chris. I'm so proud. That's right. It was TrinitySim.edu education. That's from professors you've heard of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Chris, last word. Oh, uh, just it's it's such an honor. Like I said, you're making my dream come true by giving me an opportunity to teach. So thank you so much for for giving me this opportunity. It's fantastic. Love you, brother. Love you guys as well. We'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.